Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Kuat Racks. Kuat makes industry-changing products, including kayak, bike, and truck bed racks for the Ozark Outdoorsman, manufactured with the utmost care to quality, style, and longevity. With their lifetime, no worries, limited warranty, they stand behind their products like no other company. Most importantly, Kuat gives back to the community and makes positive impacts on the environment by partnering with grassroots groups. Through their Future Forest Initiative, they plant one tree for conservation with each rack sold. Kuat is based in Springfield, Missouri, and proudly supports all things Ozarks, including this show. Visit kuat.com for more information. Well, well, we'll go out there and we'll get the dogs. We'll put tracking collars on the Garmin's. So okay. we, we'll know where they're at. Just send them in towards the timber, and they'll go in and look for a coon. And when they smell one, they'll bark. And then when they track it up in tree, it they'll set down a tree, and then we'll just walk in there to them, and uh, we'll either shoot it or leave it. And how do you decide if you're going to shoot it or leave it? Just whatever y'all want to do. <laughs> Sounds like we're <laughs> shooting it. <laughs> you're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. We are here at my house. We're coming off of a, a really intense rut. Deer hunting has been crazy. I've been seeing deer moving left and right. It seems like everyone I know has shot a big buck at this point, except me. <laughs> you still got time, man. I got a little bit of time left. Bow season lasts forever. It does. It's like half the year yeah, in Arkansas, literally. which is great. Yeah, it's a ton of time to, to, to get the job done. From um, where we're sitting, though, we've had a pretty great season with hunting bears, killing deer, I know you've been making me some bear jerky. Oh, man. You've been baking with some bear lard. Yep. No, it's been fun. I, I get a kick out of, even even when I'm, how would you say it, using your kill, your harvest. Our kill, Kyle. We've established that <laughs> okay. it's our kill. Um, I, you know, I still get a lot of enjoyment out of, out of cooking with it. And, um, man, I've got a bang-up jerky recipe that is, it's, I, I can't claim it as my own because it's not. It's actually from a, uh, a friend of ours um, his family, and they've had it in their family for like six or seven generations. A and vineyard family. A vineyard, so yeah. And, and they use wine in, mm-hmm. in the marinade of the jerky um, because that's their, their family. That's like their roots. And so it's an old school jerky recipe, and it is so good. And I did some with the bear that you shot, and then I did some with the deer that I shot. Um, and, man, I love doing that Dude, stuff. you can't beat it. I smoked a venison backstrap. Here just a couple days ago. Yeah. Whole backstrap. Smoked it. Got it to like 127 internal and then reverse seared it. Like let it rest and then seared the edges. Look at you. And <laughs> oh, dude, it was crazy. That was Made, for Thanksgiving, right? It was. Okay. That was like the, you know, welcome into the home apps, kind of hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. Uh, venison special there. And then Daniel was making fun of me because I make it for everything, including smoked trout, <laughs> bear, <laughs> any wild game. But I love making, I actually saw 
I think it's Remy Warren, who's the solo hunter guy. Yeah. He made this in the field with wild blueberries, and I thought that's the coolest thing ever. We don't have wild blueberries here, so I use store-bought blueberries, but a blueberry, and then it's like brown sugar, red wine, and sage and rosemary reduction jelly mm. to put on like a cracker or something if you're going to do a smoked meat, and it's money. It's fire. So do you have a name for it that you've like coined? or I just stole it off somebody's Instagram. <laughs> a coined name for it. But it's like, it's a if, blueberry reduction sauce. Sauce. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if y'all want the recipe for that or smoked venison, let us know on Instagram. I'll yeah. send it to you. That's Happily. Yeah. I will, I will DM it to you. Should I, should I share the jerky recipe? No. It's kind of a, like, I kind of would have to ask permission to even pass that on. A yeah. You're like a keeper of a secret. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Well, if you want to maybe ask, <laughs> I'll have to ask. You can ask and we'll decide. <laughs> I'll decide then. We'll see. Um, but... All that aside, um, we, we got to do something pretty cool recently. We did. And, um, and to kind of set up this episode, I'll, I'll hint at that and then we'll get into it. But um, basically, we had been talking about like, man, what are some other topics we can cover? You know, when you get into the fall, it's, it's very, you know, a lot of people are like keyed in on deer hunting and, and everything is, is deer hunting. And you got to talk about early season, getting into the rut, you know, even before that pre-rut and mm-hmm food sources and all that. And there's just a lot to cover. But I was like, you know, there's there's other stuff going on too. Yep. And um, and one of the things that I personally thought would be really cool um, to talk about, because I genuinely don't know a whole lot about it, is coon hunting. And there's a couple reasons why I wanted to cover it. But really the main one, um, other than just wanting to learn, is the history of coon hunting in the Ozarks and just in the the United States in general is so rich and it's so storied and um man it just used to be such a big deal and it's really gone away mm-hmm. over time it's shifted and and so few people now do it because of so many reasons and so so many different factors yeah and and so just to have an episode where we talk about it and interview someone who still does it on a regular basis and ask them why they do it and what they get out of it and you know just learn from them how it works and what that community is like because mm-hmm. It has its own community with within that world, just like the deer community, deer hunting community kind of has its world and, you know, the the fishing community has its world and you can even split that into different subgroups. So anyways, that's kind of setting up this episode. That that was what I thought would be cool to talk about. And so we went and drove out to somewhere deep in the Ozarks and met up with our guest uh, who is, his name is Phil Davis. And Phil is a long time coon hunter. And you didn't mention this earlier, but we're talking specifically the storied history of coon hunting with dogs. Yeah. In America. Right. And so this is Phil Davis, longtime veteran. I don't even know if we got a list of his credentials because they were so vast. (laughs) I kind of forgot to ask. Like, Totally. But it's like trained multiple trophy winning dogs, multiple nights and grand nights and all the stuff, which... At first, when he was saying this, I thought he was spelling it with a K. And I'm yeah. like, that's epic. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized, like, to, to be a grand night dog means you, like, win the night. The night. Multiple nights and however it's tiered. And a whole world that I knew nothing of. Yeah. But was was so excited to get a little glimpse into. Yeah. No, it was cool. To your point, yeah, it's like, this guy, he's he's so decorated. And he has so many credentials. And I, like, totally forgot to ask. I was like, wait, how 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 many awards have you won? And... He was talking about dogs he sold for, you know, several tens of thousands of dollars that they're just that good. Um, but 
he was nice enough to invite us out to his place. And um, he and his his coon hunting partner, Eddie, uh, was also out there. And so we sat down. We had a conversation. And then afterwards, we actually, we loaded up in the truck and we went coon hunting. We did. And we, we took their dogs out um, and we took three dogs out. And two of them were like kind of the veteran dogs. They were really taking charge. Mm-hmm. And then they had a one one younger dog who I think was like two years old. Yeah, two or three. But I still what he'd said. pretty much learning how, how everything works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to, before we even get into the episode, I kind of just want to talk through like the the hunting part of it because, man, it was cool. I think that's like an interesting piece just to get to hear from two guys like us who've never done it before, hear how it works and kind of break through some of the You'll hear once we get to the interview, there's a lot of terms that get thrown out there and maybe we can kind of try to demystify some of that before we even get to the the actual episode. But pretty much we recorded and then we loaded up and we we took off. So from there, kind of maybe talk people through how the night went. As a quick record, because the frost was coming and they were like, we got to go hunt these things. Yeah. It's time to go. Um, man, we loaded up in the truck, meaning dog box in the truck, multiple dogs in kennel, don't know how they decide which dogs they want, but whatever dogs they wanted to hunt. GPS collars on and remind me the three names. So you had Gypsy. Yep. And Gypsy, I think, was a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. These are all blue ticks. Yep. Blue um, tick hounds. Yep. And so you had Gypsy was a nine-year-old and you had Joey. Um, Gypsy was Phil's dog. Joey was Eddie's dog. Mm-hmm. And Joey, I think, was seven. I may get that wrong, but he was seven. And then you had Nibbles. And Nibbles. Nibbles named by the grandkid. <laughs> yeah. And Nibbles was the pup who was still kind of out there for learning purposes. Yep. So GPS collars on the dogs. And we, yeah, we threw on boots and warm gear and headlamps and all the stuff and loaded up in the truck. Drove to some property that they had access on from farmers and, and whatnot. And they released the dogs. Get yeah. them out of the truck. They take off. And I don't know, within the first two or three minutes of watching the dogs run through the cow pasture up into the woods, and then we start hearing them bark. What would you call that? Like a locate? Like locate a location bark. bark? Is that right? Well, there was like, there was a couple different barks, and this was part of it that it was one, a little bit confusing, but also impressive to watch. Because you send the dogs off, they've got GPS collars, and so he's actually able to watch like, okay, Gypsy and Joey, they've run off to the left, and they're over here, and they're at 400 yards away, but they're kind of generally sticking together. Nibbles on this first spot was Goes the other way. Totally like 600 yards, way the opposite way down the creek. And they were like, what the heck is Nibbles doing over there? But then the whole time they're doing this, they're listening to these different barks. And each bark means a different thing. And they were able to pick apart, like, oh, Gypsy, she's on a trail, but she's really not giving it all she's got. It's a cold trail, probably. probably. A cold trail. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like deducing this information. And then they're like, oh, now she's on a hot trail. And now her and Joey are working together. And man, they seem like they're close and they're, they've located. And now, you know, they think they're treed or they're getting close and they think they've got the general area. And then finally, it, it ends with like, boom, they're going crazy and they've treed a coon. Mm-hmm. And so that first spot, that's exactly how it went was Nibbles is off and it's. Her her own world over there. Gypsy and Joey go to work. And then finally, I think Gypsy was the one who treed the first coon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they had some kind of bark that let them know there's a coon in this tree. Yeah. And it's not a locator. Is it, just, is it a brawl or a yell? 
There was ball and chops and there was all kinds of words. Y'all will hear this in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we are not we are not skilled in the dog world. No, we're and not. That's okay. We're not we're not trying to be. We're not pretending to be. Yeah. We might be trying to be eventually, but we're not pretending to be. And so we locate the first coon. It's awesome. I mean, you're like running across the creek, you climb the hill, the dogs are at the tree, they're going crazy, spotlights go up, and it's like, there it is. There it is. Here's the gun. Uh, you were the first to take a shot. Knock that coon straight out of the tree. Yeah. It crashed down. That thing made a thump. <laughs> it was a big <laughs> raccoon. That thing was, was really huge. big. I was not expecting it to shake the ground like it did when it came down. And the dogs jump on it, and then they're like, it's dead, it's dead. They pick it up, and we go on to the next one. Yeah. And, man, I just I thought it was so cool, you know, to kind of set the scene when, when they first treed that first coon, and you're like, all right, man, they're treed up. We're going to go find them. You walk, we walked out into this field. The fog is starting to kind of set. The, the, the frost is, is forming on the ground. And then you walk down into this creek and, and the dogs are there and you're walking up out of the other side. And you just, I could not imagine a more picture perfect image of coon hunting in the Ozarks. Everything just felt right. And it was like, I remember you look back at me and you're like, we got to get a coon dog. <laughs> got to. <laughs> got to do it, man. Well, it felt like we were stepping back in time. It did. Like it felt like we were stepping into the, the heritage of the Ozark way mm -hmm. of surviving off the land of hunting and fishing and trapping and tree and coons. And then all the way up into the, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s when fur was actually worth something and people did it as a part-time job or a hobby or yeah. side hustle. Like maybe even a full-time, maybe even full-time. Some of the prices they were talking about how it used to be. Yeah. They were saying $30 for a good pelt. Back in the 70s and 80s, which say adjust for inflation. Yeah. $30 would have gone a long way. I mean, you could have treated up four or five coons in one night, you could make more doing that than actually working. You really could. Yeah, it felt like we were things. stepping into stepping into some history. Yeah. It was really neat. It was cool. So that was kind of the first one. And then, you know, we, we go from spot to spot. And then later on, we went to another spot. They went out. They searched for a while. They ended up not finding yeah, anything. Yeah, nothing. Just drinking coffee and looking at the stars. Which is a cool thing about coon hunting. It's very social. Mm -hmm. um, so they send them out. But then, you know, they come back. And we're like, all right, let's check one more spot. And so we did. And, um, and then, you know, we're sitting there for a while. Kind of, it's like, took a little bit longer than the first one. You're like, I don't know if it's going to happen again. Maybe that the frost is now set and it's, you know, it's just kind of not going to happen. But boom, there they go. They're, they're treed up and then uh, it's time to go search for them. And then you got yours. Yep. Um, and that was cool because that was just in a, a kind of a different spot. It, it wasn't in the creek. It was kind of in the middle of this field. and mm -hmm. Just up in a tree. Yeah, dog was going crazy. We run up. It's, I mean, it's so neat. It's, uh. You see the you see the coon up there and the light shine it and hand you the gun. It's like, all right, this one's yours. Yep. Just one crack shot and it's done. Yeah. No, it was a good night, man. I, I really enjoyed it and um am really grateful that Phil and Eddie were so kind to like take us out. I totally was not expecting that. You know, it's like it's always like, Man, we just want to talk to you and for them to be like, Well, to hell with talking, let's do it. <laughs> let's go hunt. I'm like, Yeah, man, I'm about it. So you'll notice we kinda cut it short because I think we were all just itching to actually go. It's like we sat down and, you know, time was running out on us and the frost was starting to set and you want to get out there before all that happens while the, the coons are still active. And so, but yeah, we had a good time hanging out with them and hope you guys appreciate this episode. There's a lot of things to know about hunting turkeys in the Ozarks, but there's two things I know for sure. One, it's that turkeys have really good eyesight. So your camo matters. Canis makes an incredible turkey camo. It is comfortable, it is breathable, blends into the background like no other. It is the perfect camouflage for those long sits 
back up against a white oak tree, hearing those hens and gobblers hold up 200 yards away as I'm just waiting for them to come in. The second thing you got to know is you have to be prepared for anything. Whether it's a tom sneaking up behind you or a rainstorm coming at you out of nowhere, Canis has you covered. From the Nunavut rain jacket to the chamois fleece hoodie to the alpine pant with built-in knee pads, make sure you have Canis on you for this upcoming turkey season. Use our discount code OZARK for 15% off website or in-store, and good luck this turkey season. Give me just a little flavor of when you got started coon hunting and, and how long you've been doing it. Well, I've been doing it for, gosh, for years. I started when I was 12, and uh, I started, there's a boy in West Fork that had dogs named uh, James Bowen, and I drove by his house and seen them, and I stopped my own visit with him. I was on my motorcycle, and, and then that's how, kind of how it all got started. And then from then on, I've been hunting for years. You saw his dogs, and, and you remembered yeah. it was a particular breed, and it's still the yeah. breed that you own today, yeah. right? Yeah, it was blue tick dogs. And, and my uncle, B.W., he had blue tick dogs when I was a little kid, and I seen them, and I liked them. And, and then when I seen them at James's house, I stopped and visited with him, and, and that's where I got to hunting. Gotcha. I've hunted ever since. And was it just a, an instant connection like, man, yeah. I love this? What, oh, yeah. What yeah. about it was it that kind of got you eat up inside? Well, I love the dogs, and then uh, I just did love to coon hunt, and it was getting out of a nighttime doing something, and it was just enjoyable. Hadn't done, hadn't done anything else but coon hunt, hardly. <laughs> I traveled around. When I was younger, I traveled to hunts all over the country and hunted and, and uh, everything, and so I just enjoyed it and have never quit it, and I still go. Yeah. So you were well, telling us about some of those competitions, uh, traveling around and, and hunting different dogs yeah. and across different states. What what did that look like? How does how does a competition like that work? And then what was involvement in it looking like for you? Well, I mean, I I won quite a bit traveling, and uh, I drawed out a night or two and and got behind in a cast, and and they have more coons than what we had, and I, I was going to pull out one time because once you get down five hundred points. You know, you can't hardly come back. Well, then uh, this boy that was in a cast, he said, hey, we'll treat more coons than that because we've got more coons than what you got at your house. He said, if you'll just hang in, he said, you're allowed to come back and win. Sure enough, I did. I come back, scored 775 points, and come back and won. Mm. And But, yeah, it's uh, it's different all over. You know, you just got to learn it as you go. Yeah. You know? I want to go with go there, and, and maybe we'll save that for here in a minute um, to kind of dive into some of the weeds because – like I said, I know nothing about points and, yeah. and how they're scored and where yeah. you do it and how you make sure that it's fair because, you know, yeah. you're hunting over here and this guy's hunting here. So we'll come back to that. But let's talk about the the tradition a little bit and kind of history of coon hunting in the Ozarks. I know that, you know, basically as long as, as people have been here in the Ozarks, they've been coon hunting and it was a way to, you know, provide subsistence to their family, but also a way to make money um, for a long time. Talk me through kind of the evolution of coon hunting from the very first people who did it to up until today, kind of that history. Well, the the people that started years ago, they didn't have the lights that we've got today. I mean, you know, they, they was in carbide lights and whatever they could carry, you know, and lanterns, lanterns. and stuff. Yeah. But now we've got the lights that'll reach out there and 40 yards and, you know, you can see anything. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a different deal. I remember years ago we'd had... Uh, some lights that is uh, called KW lights, and every time we'd use them, they leaked acid. All the cooners had didn't have no seats in their vehicles because the acid <laughs> would leak all in their seat and eat them up from the lights. Yeah, from the lights. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's I mean, but 
it's it's a different deal now than what it used to be. And mm-hmm. back then, when they were out there using lanterns and stuff like that, was was it? I mean, were were dogs even a big part of it back then, or were they just really? How has it changed in that regard to just just methods of of hunting? No, it's it's about the same. I mean, the dogs had to treat the coons. I okay. mean, it was about the same. And you know, back in that day, you could hunt anywhere. Nobody cared. You know, but this day and time, you got to watch everything where you get and. And we'll run Garmin tracking collars on them now that where you can keep up with them, try to keep them off people's land that don't want them on there, you know, and stuff. You got to kind of control them more than yeah. what we used to. Yeah. And and when you say control them, you know, they're, like you said, they're they're kind of out on their own. They're not on leash. Yeah. You're, they're not on a lead. You basically turn them loose at the truck and, and then you listen for them and you track them on the GPS to find yeah. them again. Is that if we right? got if we got the Garmin and, and the Garmin will show you everywhere the dog goes. And then like if he gets in places that's not supposed to be in, well you can tone them and they'll and they know to turn around and come back or just try to keep them off play, places that we're not supposed to be on. You know, because a lot of people they don't they don't want you on there no more. It's it's not the same as it used to be. Tell tell me about the a little bit more about that. Place being able to like kind of go anywhere versus now, you know, have you had people say like you can't hunt here anymore, or you know oh, yeah. the land has yeah. been sold and you now you don't know the people who own it? Yeah, yeah. Me and Eddie, this happened about three weeks ago. Me and Eddie, this guy gave us permission to hunt on his property, and we got up and we was hunting on his property. Well, we got on his brother. We didn't know his brother owned half of it. Well, they got us on camera, and so they were gonna uh, get us for trespassing. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. He said they're gonna get us for trespassing. Well, his brother had given us permission, and his brother. Finally, got talked him out of it, and he didn't do it. But, but yeah, he was gonna. They was gonna write us up. And, and back in the old day, pretty much was it. Do you think it was more because temperaments and attitudes were different about coon hunting, or do you think it was more like, well, people didn't have trail cameras, and so yeah. they didn't know that you were yeah, on their land as much. Maybe <laughs> yeah, years ago they didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And, and most people seen lights years ago didn't care. You know, most people when they see it, they didn't care. But this day and time, they they care. Yeah, you know. You gotta be careful. So, when do you feel like the the coon hunting, um, the popularity of coon hunting, really started declining? Because I I hear stories of people back in back in the times when, especially when fur prices were really high, and you could yeah. get twenty five dollars a pelt for a really yeah. prime hide off of a coon. Here, what was the timing of when, at least from what you've seen, of when the popularity really started shifting down? I, I would say. In the 80s and 90s, the coon hides were still pretty decent. I, I sold some of them. Well, I went to Nebraska and hunted, and we killed, uh, me and David Priest killed, uh, I think, 22 and a couple nights, and we sold them for $54 a piece. Mm. That 54 was a, a piece. That was the highest I ever sold a coon hide, yeah. And that, you said that was in Nebraska? Yeah. Okay. In Lincoln, Nebraska. And then uh, around here, though, we hunted, and we our coons were a little bit littler than the Nebraska coons. Sure. And we got, like, Tops are probably about thirty thirty two dollars a piece. Okay, back back in eighties nineties seventies and eighties nineties, I could so make really more. Good. I could make more coon hunting than I could working. Seriously, yeah. Because if I would tree five one night, you know, there you go. Golly, yeah, it's a lot different. What does a coon hide go for right now? I'd I'd say about two dollars. Really, maybe just no value. Yeah, no value. They're not worth skinning. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a different deal. But I used to get all my Christmas money. I'd, I'd sell my coon hides to get my Christmas money years ago. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Why yeah. do you think the value's dipped the way it has? Just I, I the fur market? I, I really don't know. I heard that Russia quit buying the furs, what I heard. But okay. 
I don't know if that's it or not. Mm. So would so that timing of of the popularity? Do you think it started going down when with the prices? Yeah, yeah, it did. Okay. And the people, I mean, there's a lot of people that still competition hunt that, you know, that do it for the competition fun, you know. But yeah, the the people don't hunt. There's not near as many hunters as they used to be. Mm. Used to you could go out and if you if you sold your dog, you could go out and buy another dog next day. But now if you sell your dog, you better be looking because you can't find them to buy. The, the breeders aren't around. Well, there's people hunting. Yeah, they just don't want to feed them because the dog food's so high. They don't want to keep them and feed them. So it's not as near as many dogs. Gotcha. And and whenever you'd go out and you're hitting the woods and you're in the on public land, I guess do a, a lot of the time are you are you hunting on public land? You're trying to get in. Yeah. It's basically the deep, darkest, dense woods you possibly yeah. can get into. Yeah, we'll hunt on. I'll call some people when we go hunting and they let me hunt on their property. And then sometimes we'll go to back country to. Government land, you know. Okay. Hunt on it, but we hunt a lot of public land. And nowadays, you probably don't run into a whole lot of people out there. When no, you're, when you're no. Hunting. Back in the day, you probably did though. Yeah, yeah. I used to you, when you, first day of season, first night of coon season, you hear dogs treat every direction. Really? Yeah. But now you can go out there and you'll hear nothing. You know, not any treat around here anyway. Was it just twinkling, twinkling lights? Of, oh yeah. Of yeah. headlamps and stuff. Everybody back was, in the day. Yeah, everybody was after the coon hides. They was trying to make $30. Golly, no kidding. I mean, think about that, Kyle. If you and I were treeing five coons a night and making 30 bucks a hide on that, we'd quit podcasting. <laughs> we'd pay, fund it. Pay for oh, all yeah. of our fun stuff that we do and all of our hunting equipment. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, that and, is- and having fun doing it. That's mm-hmm. the thing. We, yeah. You know, we was making money and having fun doing it. And every year, I'd sell a dog. I mean, used to, I'd, I'd train that dog and I'd sell it, and then I'd, I'd get me another one to have it ready for the next winter. Yeah. You gotcha. know, so make money both ways, kind of. Okay. So yeah. you said there's still a lot of people who competition hunt. Yes. Yes, there's a lot of competition hunters. And if you could kind of simplify that for me, there's, I know there's several different, um, I don't know if you call them leagues, but you said like UKC, PKC, these these different organizations yes. that put together these hunts. If you could just at a like very high level kind of break apart like how it works, yeah. these different competitions. Well, what they do is uh, in the hunts, like if, 25 people go to a hunt, and then they, they go and they draw out four dogs to a cast. You know, they'll try to get four to a cast. If they can't what, make, What's a cast? It's uh, the ones that go out and hunt against each other. Okay. Four dog, It's a four dog. And then uh, they'll go out and hunt. Sometimes it's a two-hour hunt, and sometimes they have one-hour hunts, and then they'll have another one-hour later hunt. And so it's like a two-hour hunt, but it's just one hour at a time. You get a cast win that goes towards your night champion degree. Or, okay. Yeah, you know, make them night champion. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, you know, they, they just draw them out, and then whoever scores the most, you have to win your cast, though, to, to get in on it. And the different, um, like UKC, PKC, these are different organizations, and they sponsor their own hunts, and they're different? Or yes. how, what does that look like? Well, they're, they're about the same type of hunt. I mean, but uh, the PKC, you most of the time, give money away in theirs. They win money. In the UKC, they just either get a trophy or, or they get a degree towards Grand Knight Champion. Okay. You know, and to make a Grand Knight, you have to have uh, five wins in uh, the night, the registered part to make them a Knight Champion. Then when you make a Knight Champion, I think you have to have eight wins, eight wins to make them a Grand Knight. And then, and then you still can hunt them, you know, towards that big money hunt at the end of the year. But uh, anyway, that's... That's how it works. In PKC, I think they they give money away at all the hunts. They split whatever, however many hunt in the hunt. They 
divide it up and split it. Okay. So they're guys who are making a living doing these doing these hunts? Yeah, there's professional handlers. They've got some people that are paid professional handlers that hunt dogs and stuff. Okay. You know, like I seen a female on Facebook for sale, I think, for 18000 Oh, uh, today, you know, just for one for, for one dog. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're high dollar. They've, they've sold some of them sold for a hundred thousand. No way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, they've sold them dogs high dollars. And and to justify that, maybe kind of give a little insight into some of the payouts on some of these uh, yeah. competitions. Gosh, I'm not sure exactly. Probably a hundred thousand, something like that. Fifty to a hundred thousand. Yeah. So these are probably the max. Like very much. Could be annual salaries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The boys, I think a lot of them that hunt in the hunts that are handlers, I think they get so much. If they do win it, I think they get so much of the money. You know, I think they, they give them so much of it, the, the owner of the dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a money-making deal if you got a good one, but you got to have a good dog. you got to have a good one. <laughs> kind yeah. of a mix between, like, yeah. a racehorse and a bass tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah it is. Spending a lot of money on your, on your animal, on your dog yeah. or you know, the racehorse. Yeah. But then you also got to go win the tournaments and yeah. keep one in to get at the higher level to then make more money. Right. And spend the money back on training and uh-huh. keeping them tuned. Yeah. So what makes a good dog? Well, you just got to hunt them. I mean, that's the main thing. You got to get them out there and hunt them every night. And you got to know your dog because they all bark different ways on different things. You got to know when they tree. And you got to be able to tree them quick, you know. And uh, But the main thing, making a good dog is just putting them in the woods. You know, you just got to keep them in the woods and stuff. And you got to have good hearing. So you you got to be able to hear good. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, that's, you know, they, they uh, some of the professional handlers, they're good handlers. Okay. I mean, they're, they're good. So. What about, um, like, individual tendencies of a dog or, or attitudes that you pick up on early and maybe like a pup or something like that where you're like, I know that this dog... It's got the drive. It's got the want to. This is going to be a good coon dog. Yeah. What are some of those things that you look for? Well, just look for them uh, that can move a track for the main thing. You want one of them that goes hunting. If you go to competition, you got to have one go hunting. It's got to be able to run a track, and it's got to have a more or less a one bark locate. When it locates a tree, it's got to roll over and tree. You know, it, it doesn't matter where it chops street or ball street or whatever, but when, when it locates, it's got to stay there. You don't want them locating and getting down, running around, because then you're gonna get minus. They gotta stay right there. So a one bark tree dog's your best best dog. Okay. And and when you say minus, what what are you talking about? Well, if if you go to a tree and your dog's milling around on the ground, you know, smelling around on the ground or something, they're gonna minus them. So you That's you'll like get minus points. points. Yeah, deduction okay. in points. Yeah. Okay. So you, they got to stay there. They gotta stay focused. They gotta stay focused and stay on that tree. Pause up on the tree. Yeah. Look yeah. it up. Yeah, barking, howling. Yeah, and chop and ball. These are different terms that coon hunters use to describe yeah. different types of barks. Yeah, yeah, like a ball. Ball. You got ball mouth dogs that will run a track with a ball mouth, and then they tree with a ball mouth. Or you got a ball mouth dog on the track, and then they tree with a chop mouth, chop real fast. Mm. You know, and, it, and uh, that's the ones I like. I like the ones that chop tree. You like the chop? Yeah. How come? Because they're just they're just prettier to listen to. It's more it's more natural to me instead of balling every breath and running out of air. It seemed like that chopping just, they don't never run out of air. and they, mm. It's just prettier. Yeah. And they bark the whole time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they chop tree the whole time until you get there. Okay. And in these mountains, they got to stay an hour or two sometimes. Really? Oh, yeah. For yeah, you to catch up? Yeah, they got to stay treat. Guess that makes sense if it's oh, way yeah. out in front of you. Yeah. If you, get, if, you, if you get one that won't stay treat, you're in trouble. 
get your way back in there yeah, and leave. Yeah, by the time you get there, they're off Gone. doing something oh, else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't hang around very long. <laughs> get rid of them. <laughs> what is training, you know, from puppy uh, up to dog that you're saying it's got a good drive, it's got a good bark, it, it has it has what it needs to, to be a good, good coon hunter, other than getting them in the woods early and doing it a lot? What yeah. do you do for some extra training? Well, really just take them and, and hunt them and then knock a coon or two out to them. When you see they're needing a coon, we don't kill all the coons they tree. And when you a dog gets to slacking a little, you might have to knock them one out to get them back up on it because, you know, and, and in the wintertime, we kill more than we do in the summertime. We don't hardly ever kill any in the summer. But That's just because you're going out there to get them on yeah, just, coons. Yeah, exercise them and get them on coons and, and stuff and then we just I don't know we just don't hardly ever it most time in the summertime we hunt a little easier area and we ain't got very many of them around here yeah so we try to save them coons <laughs> that's what we're going to take you boys tonight to the easier area well that's what I was going to say we actually <laughs> haven't mentioned that we're actually after we get done interviewing we're going to go this will be my first coon hunt same here so it's something I've always wanted to do have have always kind of had an interest in doing it but just have never known anyone who actually goes and coon hunts anymore so I haven't had kind of that foot in the door to go yeah. try it. Well, after tonight, you boys will be hooked. You better get ready. Tell your wives. Uh oh. <laughs> so what can I? What can we expect tonight? If if we're gonna go out there and basically walk me through what the evening's gonna look like? Well, we'll we'll go out there and we'll get the dogs. We'll put tracking collars on the Garmin's. Okay. We, we'll know where they're at. We'll just send them in towards the timber, and they'll go in and look for a coon. And when they smell one, they'll bark. And then when they get up, track it up and tree it, they'll set down a tree, and then we'll just walk in there to them. And uh, we'll either shoot it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you decide if you're going to shoot it or leave it? Just whatever y'all want to do. <laughs> Sounds like we're shooting it. <laughs> if it's a coon and it's, I mean, I'm a big turkey hunter, so if any coon I can take out, yeah. that's a good, yeah, that's that's a good, good thing. Good sign. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we'll kill one then. <laughs> and then so from there, you just kind of, you move on and you try yeah, to we go do the same thing, yeah. Okay. We'll just go do the same thing, turn them loose again and, and uh, see how many of the tree. Some nights, some nights you'll tree all den trees and never see a coon. Some nights you'll tree blank persimmon trees and not see no coons. And then some nights you'll just tree a coon up every tree. So you just just something you don't never know. Just depends you know, on just, the night. Just depends on the night, yeah. When it's moonlight, it's harder. But when it's dark like it is tonight, it's a little it's better. The coons move and they'll go up a tree when it's darker. But when it's moonlight, it's it's tough to get one on the outside. You know, in our country. Yeah. And how do their behaviors change? I mean, you know, you think about like deer hunting, right? Like mm-hmm. cold fronts coming in, I need to be in the woods, you know, timing of of the rut and everything. Are there different times of the year and, and cold fronts? Like do some of these things affect coons as well? Well, when it gets colder, they don't move quite as good. I mean, you won't hit as many, but you can still, if you got a dog that'll go find one, they'll go find one. But yeah, it's, it makes it a little harder in the wintertime. It's, really? it's a little tougher, yeah. So it's you would actually see expect to see more in the summer just because they'd be more yeah. active. Yeah, they're more active and they're out and they're around all the water holes. They're thinking getting them a drink, you know, and stuff. But you know, in the wintertime, they're they're back in the backcountry a lot. Mm-hmm. So you have to gut it out more. Yeah. So are they just looking for food? Yeah. They're most of them just looking for acorns okay. and stuff to eat. And dog runs up on them. That makes sense. Yeah. And we sound really uneducated at this. I mean, <laughs> I keep thinking about that. I'm just like, I'm excited to go figure it out and see it. Yeah. And like, so what can we expect? And it's kill coons. You're like, okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. The word you're saying makes sense. But uh-huh. it, so we're basically just going to kind of let the, the dogs do the work. You don't really have to like key in on a food source. 
no. or key in on a watering hole necessarily. Well, you, you may you, be aware of some of these things in the area. Yeah, yeah like like they uh, you know they like persimmons. You know, so if you go when the persimmons are ripe, you go around them. You know, you turn loose by some persimmon trees, or if the cherries are ripe. You know where cherry trees are. You know, summertime you go turn loose by cherry trees, and just you just kind of keep track of what's what's ripe and. And where you know have you know at different times of year have treated them and on different type trees while you know to go turn loose there because yeah. they're they're going to the food source. Okay. Yeah. So you just keep keep an eye on that, keeping yeah. an awareness of where those things are. Yeah. And then do you kind of pair that with like okay my my I turn my dogs loose, I'm tracking them on the GPS. I know they're getting close to this spot over here, so yeah. there's a good chance that they're about to tree. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we know that sometimes we'll say, yep, they're getting over in a good place. Okay. You know, so yeah, you know that. I mean, you can kind of keep track of that Garmin. Yeah. See, and years ago, we didn't have Garmin's. We'd just have to drive around and listen for the dogs, stand on the truck and listen, but now we know right where they're at. Yeah. It makes it, it's nice. That's a luxury. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a luxury. <laughs> it sounds to me like coon hunting, it's a, it's a very social hunt. I mean, yeah. because you're not having to be quiet. You're not having to sit still, freeze your butt off 15, no. 20 feet up in a tree with the wind yeah. blowing on, up your back. Yep. You're you're either driving around or you're sitting at the truck hanging out and drinking coffee or doing whatever you want to. Yeah, exactly. It's it's nice. You can, that's what I like about the wintertime. You just roll the window down, drink your coffee, and sit and listen to them when they strike a coon. You know it. And then you can sit and listen to a tree. You know it. And you can get out and go to them. Yeah. So it makes it kind of nice. No, that is cool. <laughs> it ain't getting out there gutting it out or nothing. No, it's not. <laughs> um, and we'll use we'll use the garments too. Like if if we can see that they're closer to another road, we'll drive around the other road and then walk into them because you can tell sometimes that they're a lot closer to another road where you can get to them easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so we do that too. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, we've got another coon hunter here with us. Yeah, Eddie, and he's coming with us tonight, right? Yep. And we're gonna run his dog or Clayton's dog. We yep. got a couple guys no, we here got, with us. It's Eddie Rose, but no, Clayton, he didn't bring his dog. Okay, he's scared. Okay, so which which <laughs> which dogs are we running tonight? Well, I don't know. If we got uh, Eddie. Do you want to Eddie? Do you want to come over here and hop on hop on a mic here? Um, Dan, can we can we set him up? So we got Eddie here with us. Um, and and Eddie Eddie Rose, right? Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on the you podcast. Bet. Um, we're gonna we're gonna run some dogs tonight. What what is kind of what's the lineup of the dogs we're taking out there? And and maybe talk me through some of their different strengths and weaknesses between the two of you guys, if you don't mind. Um, I'm gonna be hunting a, an old dog. She's a she's a dual grand. Her name is Joey, and she's a, she's just a veteran. She's a good coon dog. And then uh, Gypsy, she's a younger female, but she's a she's a very good very good young dog. And they've been hunting for a while. I mean, how old are these dogs? Um, Joey is n- 10. Joey's 10, and then Gypsy is 2, f- 3. 3. She's 3. three. Okay. Gotcha. So. so they've got some experience. Yes. Oh, yeah. And and we're, we're pretty confident that we're going to turn these dogs loose, and we're probably going to find some coons, or at least a yeah. dim tree or something, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll yeah. find yeah. something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, from, from your perspective, Eddie, you know, you spend so much time – on these dogs and um, hunting them and training them. Why, why do you do it? What, what about coon hunting is um, special to you? I just, I love the fur aspect of it. And I also love the dog dogs. I mean, I just love dogs. And how long, how long have you been doing it for? I bet I've been probably coon hunting for 30, 40 years now. You're showing us pictures of deer and bear and turkeys and all kind of stuff before we, we jumped on the mic. If you had to choose between 
coon hunting, deer hunting, bear hunting, turkey hunting, as the one thing you'd do for the rest of your hunting career, what would you choose? I'd probably pick coon hunting and trapping. Is that for the, sure. the social aspect, the dogs, the Absolutely. just the whole experience? Yep, the camaraderie, the mm-hmm. people. I mean, the people, the people, most of the people that coon hunt are very good people. Let's move to some uh, some favorite coon hunting stories before we wrap up and then actually go make some. I don't know, craziest story, maybe favorite hunt, just kind of in that realm. Yeah. What what, what do y'all have for us? Well, the, the best coon hunt I think ever was on was with Dennis Elbrader in Kansas. And we treated 13 singles by 11 o'clock. But we drove to every tree. That was the best part. Oh, wow. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> have to hike. You're oh, quick. No, no. In and out. Yeah, yeah. The best part about it, when I'd be standing there, he'd say, get in. I say, hey, I want to hear that. Get in. Get in. <laughs> yeah, get going. That's the best hunt I've ever been on. 13 by it, 11 o'clock. Yeah. And you typically start about? Probably about 6 or 7. Okay, gotcha. Most of the time. Yeah. What about maybe uh, if you had to do like an Ozark hunt? Just because Kansas, we love Kansas, but, you know, only the tiniest little slivers actually in the Ozarks. Best Ozark coon hunt experience or, or story. It was maybe something crazy happened or you had a, a rabid coon chasing you down. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never got any rabid coons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, probably around here you might treat probably a good night is maybe four or five okay. around here, you know, hunting all night in the wintertime. Yeah. Now, if you go back if you go back in uh, big country, back in White Rock, you know, years ago I liked to hunt that country because when I'd tree a tree, there'd be five in one tree sometimes. Mm. And I'd get all of them. That's $30 a piece. You know, you made a pretty good lick right there Yeah. back in the day. So I always tried to go back in that country because nobody bothered them. Right. But but now, no more than they're worth, we just hunt around here with tree two or three and go home. Gotcha. So when you say, when we ask the question, what's a good hunting story, and you say, and you equate it to numbers, yeah, that's how you kind of measure a night. It's just purely I off mean, of numbers. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I have a story of when I was growing up of, I had a, a Jack Russell Terrier, uh-huh. and he was just a beast when it came to chasing squirrels, rabbits. Like, he was so locked in. He had such a drive to find critters. There was one day we were out on our property and, and we would just turn him loose and he'd be gone all day and he'd come back at night. Well, one night he didn't come back and we were like, where's Jax? That was his name. Where's Jax? Where's Jax? And we hear this deep, far off barking. And it's like, that's a big dog. Like, that's not Jax. Jax is a, you know, a little terrier. And we, we hike out to it. It's a long way away and we finally get to it and we realize it is Jax. The reason why the bark is so deep um, is because he is six feet up in this hollowed-out oak tree, and he has chased a squirrel or a rabbit up into the hollowed-out uh, yeah. trunk of this oak, and he's stuck in there, and we can't get Take him out. It, yeah. And and so uh, when I think of a good story or something like that, yeah. I'm sure as coon hunters <laughs> and running dogs, there's got to be some situations oh, yeah. where y'all get into some tricky spots and your dog stuck somewhere or oh, ran yeah. into something yeah. or came yeah. up on a bear, anything like that that comes to mind. Yeah, I've I've had a Sadie female that I had. She's a the world champion Sadie female, but anyway, I had her stuck in two trees that I had to get her out of. In one night? Oh yeah, no, no, it was a different night. Okay, but oh yeah, I had I went to get a chainsaw, and my buddy he he got her he slid her out. She crawled up in it, and all you could see was her back feet. Mm-hmm. And he got her out. The time I got back, I went to get the chainsaw, and he he had got her out by then. Yeah, she done it to me twice, and I sold her. <laughs> that's enough of that. that that's enough of you getting yeah. stuck in these trees yeah. i sold her i thought i'd get rid of her yeah but then she went on to win the world hunt twice after you sold her uh, yeah oh yeah. man 
Yeah. She just had that drive in. Oh, yeah. She's a nice dog. Yeah. Man. What about you, Eddie? Um, actually, the dog that I'm hunting tonight, about uh, not this summer, but last the summer before, we was uh, we were down in the back country and we was coon hunting, and uh, I got her snake bit. Oh. She got bit right underneath the right underneath her chin, and it uh, it swelled her up pretty bad. It it didn't. I mean, it didn't affect her though. I mean, she's all right. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, that's that's kind of one of the crazy, crazy things. What do you do, like? Your dog's bit now. You're out in the middle of nowhere. We got well. We actually didn't even know she was bit until we got back home with her, mm. and then she was all swelled up. We just filled her full of Benadryl, and she got over it. She did. Yeah, it took about a week before she finally got all that out of her. Man, never run up on a bear on any of these. Coon oh yeah, I've bears. seen a bear. Y'all run up on bears? Yeah, I wanted to shoot it, but my buddy wouldn't let me. Yeah, <laughs> probably good. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah probably good. Sounds illegal. It. it sounds illegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, cool, guys. Uh, well, I'm, I'm excited to go. I've mentioned that a couple of times, but, um, you know, it's it's an honor to get to hang out with you guys and, and sit here and, and be welcomed into the to the circle a little bit. Um, yeah. And uh, let's go. Let's go get on some coons. All right. I'm, I'm going to sell him a dog, boys. <laughs> <laughs> sell him a dog. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. To our listeners, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure you let us know. Send it to a buddy, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkins. And, of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. 